0: Hi there. How's it going? It is great to see all of you. It's been a while. Um, now, let's begin with a lot to discuss. Uh, my wife and I have been happily married for the last 14 years. Well, i say 90% of it. Yeah. Um, no, I'm just kidding. All of it's been happily married. Um, and truth be told, people, you know, we actually really, my wife and I really don't argue very much, um, but something has come into our lives. A couple of years ago, that has become the singular lightning rod in our relationship. And some people say, was it kids? No, it wasn't. It wasn't. Kids have enriched our lives. But there has been this one thing that has become the source of all of our disagreements over the last couple of years, and it is an elliptical machine. Now, let me tell you about this elliptical machine. The reason is we we both agreed on getting one. We just can't agree on where to put it. And that's the problem. I want to put it in the garage and my wife's like, well, when you go into the garage, you immediately start sweating. And I'm like, well, that's the whole point of being on the elliptical machine. So it's like it just it seems like a love connection. So and so but she wants it um, in in our bedroom for her reasons. And um, I and I laid out all of my reasoning as to why it only makes sense for the elliptical machine to be in the garage. And um, and now someone asked me just recently. So where is it? Oh, it's in our bedroom. Um <laughs> And that's because I, there's a certain philosophy that I live by, and that is, uh, and if you're married, you may want to adopt this and write it down, and that is that he who has a happy wife has a happy life. So you may want to consider that. Um, so, thank you. So anyway, um, so like, uh, so my dad is over my house a couple of weeks ago, and he was, uh, I, I was showing him some pictures of the kids that are in the bedroom. And he looks, he goes, oh, I didn't know you had an elliptical machine. And I said, yes, it, it watches over us at night while we sleep. And, um, and I said, but the other thing is, is that when Carrie and I, um, if we haven't had an argument in a while, all I have to do is say elliptical machine and it immediately sparks, um, you know, it sparks something. And um, now you, you're, gonna, you're thinking like, you know, your wife is in the first service. Um, is this going to create a problem for you that you're talking about the elliptical machine? The answer is yes, it is. And, but I'm willing to fall on that sword for you. That's how much I love you. I'm willing to fall on that sword Um, because because I do want to make there is a point to all of this. And that's this. And that is that even people who love God and love each other still can disagree. In fact, we've been kidding. But in all seriousness, there's a lot of things that that Christians disagree on. Um, There's actually points of theology that Christians disagree on. Now, I'm not talking about the big stuff you know, did Jesus rise from the dead? Is the Bible for real or anything like that? Um, but there's there are some secondary issues that there are wonderful Christian people on both sides and they just can't seem to agree. And that's OK. We can still be brothers and sisters, even if we don't agree on every point. But there's also matters of not theology, but methodology where there'll be some disagreement. Now, let me give you an example. Um, because the Bible talks about modesty and um, And and that sort of thing about dressing modestly, there's a there's a debate, you know, not a huge thing, but there's a thing that that people will have to decide. And that is so if you're a Christian and you go to the beach, can you wear a two piece bathing suit? And that's that's some people say yes, that it's okay. Some people say no, that it's a really it's a violation of what the Bible says about modesty. And there's kind of this thing goes back and forth, um, you know, and, and I personally wear one piece when I go to the to the beach, but. You know, that's really, that's really up to you. It's up to you. Um, now, there are Christians and there are some in, in certain like uh, certain denominations that will say that um, for women, to, that, that women shouldn't wear makeup. And that really comes from, I personally think, a distortion, a kind of twisting and a kind of not understanding the, the context of one particular passage of scripture that says that your adornment shouldn't be outward, but that your adornment should be inward. Um, so they say, well, that because of that, Christi- you know, women should not wear makeup. I mean, it's just going to be a given for the men. All right. But for the you'll catch that later. Um, but uh, <laughs> the, that, that it's a you know, it's a it's a given uh, that for, for women, they shouldn't wear makeup. And so I don't have to answer the question. I will answer Like, what do you think? And so this is they're, they're used, I used to listen to this preacher. Um, I still listen to him when I can on the radio. His name was Dr. J. Vernon McGee. He went to be with the Lord in 1988. Um. But he's a great Bible teacher, but he had this saying, He had this, he talked about this once on his radio program, and he would say, well, and this is his, his saying, you know, if the barn needs painting, paint it. So that was his answer to the question. Um, now, now, let me give you a serious one. Let me give you a serious one. All right. There's things people love God on both sides of this. OK, here's here's the question to ask. Is it OK for Christians to celebrate Halloween? Now there's people that love God very much on both sides of this, uh, of this, uh, debate. And, uh, and you know, because we all know that the origins of Halloween are pagan, you know, the good thing is like Halloween's not really trying to hide that. Um, then again, if you research the origins of Christmas, you'll find the same problems. And, uh, so if you didn't know that, that'll freak you out for a while. Um, and so now I used those of you that don't know, I used to run a I was the administrator of a Bible college before coming and starting Calvary almost 11 years ago. And I had this rule personally that whenever in our school is about 250 students and in our at our school whenever I heard students debating, I would always come out and take the other side. So, it didn't even matter if I agreed with it or not, I would always take the other side. And so, sometimes they'd be arguing that it's no big deal, for Halloween or for for anything, you know, sometimes the debate would always be about different things. So sometimes I'd walk, be walking through the library and I'd hear students kind of go getting heated about it. And so sometimes there'd be like three people against the one person taking the other position. So I'd always, you know, root for the underdog. So I'd take the other position. So I've argued this particular point probably at least 200 times on both sides. So I, um, so and just to answer the question, like, well, how, what do you think about it? And, um, and is it totally wrong? Are you like worshiping Satan to, to dress up and, and do something? Or, or is it not that big of a deal? Um, personally, I let my kids dress up um, and, uh, and, and get candy. One of the reasons is because my kids dress up every day of the year anyway. So to not let them dress up on the day that they're actually going to get candy for it seems like cruel and unusual punishment. Um, so I let them, I let them do it. Um, you know, I do think some of the costumes get a little crazy, you know, I mean, uh, anyway, I'll talk, talk about that some other time, uh, <laughs> cause that's going to derail me. Uh, but I, I, have, I have friends that, uh, would never allow their kids to, to dress up for Halloween and I, and I, and I respect that. And I think that's fine. I don't think there's either, there's a right or wrong answer. Uh, I personally see it as an opportunity on my block to minister to my neighbors. Um, I get to know my neighbors better on Halloween and some of the people that I know on my block. That's how I got to know them was when they knocked on my door and then later I knocked on their door as our kids were collecting candy Um, and and and, and all that, because you don't reach people by, you know, shutting off all the lights and putting up a sign that says this day is of Satan. There's no candy here. there, you know, you don't reach a lot of people. I mean, you may reach someone, but you don't want want to mess with them. Um, but so I, so we, we've kind of gone a different direction. We've decided that we're going to have the best candy on our block. And, uh, and so like kids will, you know, they'll try to make a couple rounds. And so sometimes, uh, to get the candy, cause we have awesome candy at our house. We don't go like the Brock's candy, like, I want to throw Brock's candy at the house of the people that give my kids Brock's candy. But I don't because I love God. But I think about it. I'll be honest with you. Um, and uh, but so what happens is is that and sometimes, you know, there's like these little comic books that you can buy that kind of tell the story of the gospel. And so, you know, we've done that. We will buy these um, these little comic books that, that tell the story of the gospel. And we'll put them in with the candy and you'd be amazed at how much these kids love these little comic books. And it's not because, you know, they're like the coolest things ever or anything, but because we give such awesome candy, and the parents are like, oh, do you want this? They're like, whoa, whoa, don't throw that away. The man who gave us the adult-sized three musketeers gave us this. Let's listen to what he has to say. All right, you know, so that's kind of how it, how, how it goes. Um, plus, the other thing about this, too, and this is just an aside, is that uh, Halloween is a great opportunity to teach your kids about tithing because they get all this candy, and then you have to say you've got to give... God, the first 10%. I do that at my house. I play the role of God. And so they give anyway, so you can do that at your house. Um, so that 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 works out pretty well. Um, but here's the key. Right. And that is, can we disagree and still love each other? Because the mark of matu- of our maturity as Christians is not our ability to like lob scriptural bombs one to the other. Or our ability to debate instead our mark of maturity is our ability to love and our ability especially to love those that we might disagree with is knowing what we believe important. Absolutely. But we'll never reach anyone. If all we care about is being right and really care nothing for them as individuals. Jesus would say it this way it's in your notes and it's on the screen. He said by this all will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. You see. I really believe that this is at the heart of why we have conflict as people. And that is we are so bent on being right. We're so bent on being right that that we forget the true mark of Christian maturity, and that is love. And listen, if we're really mature, we will stop insisting on having our way, and we'll use moments of disagreement as opportunity to express love to the person that we might be in disagreement with. And this is at the very heart of what Paul's going to talk about in the book of Romans, chapter 14. So if you have your Bible, I'd invite you to open there in uh, Romans 14 as we're working our way through this book of Romans. And uh, if you will follow what we're going to talk about here, what Paul lays out for us in Romans 14, it will minimize the amount of conflict that you get into. It will minimize the, the amount of arguments that you find yourself engaging in. And listen, if, if we will follow his instructions, the people that we even disagree with will feel loved by us. The people that w- we'd say, man, I, have, I, I totally disagree with him on this issue. I totally disagree with her. They will still feel like we care about them. And the only way that we're going to win them is through, is through that very issue of them feeling that, th- that, that we care about them. Not with our debating skills, but instead with a loving attitude. So we're going to start in Romans 14 in verse 1. Here's where we pick it up in verse one. It says, receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. And let not him who eats despise him who does not eat. And let him who does not eat judge him who eats. For God has received him. And who are you to judge another's servant? For to his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be able to stand... For God is able to make him stand one person esteems one day above another another esteems every day alike Let each be fully convinced in his own mind He who observes the days observes it to the Lord and he who does not observe the day to the Lord He does not observe it He who eats eats to the Lord for he gives God thanks and he who does not eat to the Lord He does not eat, but he gives God thanks Thanks For none of us lives to himself or one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and rose and lived and lived again, that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. But why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For as it is written... As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us shall give account to him of himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another any more, but rather resolve this and not put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, I want to tell you three things about reducing conflict, about getting along. Um, and, and so here's the first one. If you're taking notes. And that is put aside secondary issues, put aside secondary issues. Now, please don't misunderstand. There are moments to argue and defend the faith. There are moments where we just can't go along and be team players. Uh, and this, you know, th- this doesn't mean that if you're single and um, you're going to marry someone who isn't a Christian because, well, you know, we all have differences, right? No, instead, uh, your, your faith is at the core of who you are. And if that person doesn't share the same faith, the same God, the same Savior, then they don't really know the real you. But if it's a secondary issue that, that there's a disagreement on, well, what we re- like what we read about here, then, then we have the opportunity then to be flexible. So here's the question. Why would someone be stumbled? Like Paul is saying, if one person eats meat and, and the other person doesn't, I mean, why, why would that be a reason for stumbling? And why does Paul say that weak people only eat vegetables? Now, let me tell you two things. Number one, he's, he, this is not referring to vegetarians per se. And he's not saying that it's more godly to eat meat, even though I personally believe that to be true. Uh, I'm just kidding. Um, now, because, I mean, just to, I personally, I like meat a lot. And uh, I like to know that when I eat lunch, that my lunch had the opportunity at one point to run for its life. Uh, but it didn't work out. So I just feel better about that. You know, people say, oh, don't you like salad? I do like salad, but I personally believe that salad is what food eats before it gets to me. So but, you know, I mean, that's it's up to you. Um, but now but now in all seriousness, this issue that Paul's referring to is a cultural issue. Now, here's here's kind of how, how it worked uh, in that culture. Meat, generally speaking, was very expensive, but. There was lots of pagan worship, lots of pagan temples in the ancient world. And so what they would do is they would buy these animals and they would, you know, cut them up, offer them as sacrifices. And then um, because they didn't actually eat this meat, they would just sell it back to the market at a very reduced rate. So the Christians, some Christians were like, what a great opportunity to get fillets on the cheap. And so they would buy the like, you know, previously used in pagan ritual meat. Um, I doubt it was marketed as that, you know, I was, you know, maybe it was pre-owned. I don't know how you market that, uh, but they would buy the meat that had been involved in some kind of pagan ritual and uh, they felt no problem with it. But then there were other Christians who said this meat was involved in worshiping some other god, some idol, some demon, whatever it is. I couldn't possibly eat that because if I eat it, I'd be connecting myself to that. And so there was this argument that, that was going on within this church here in Rome that it's like, you know, there, there were the, you know, we'll eat meat and we don't care. And, uh, and then there was the, we would, we're only going to eat vegetables because we can't even imagine being, being part of that. And so, and, and then the question becomes, now, and this is the thing I think they were expecting Paul to say, well, here's who's right. And here's essentially what Paul says. You're both right. Because it really comes down to how God has spoken to you and how God is leading you. You see, that's the wonderful thing about the faith that we have is that you have a personal relationship with God. I don't know if you ever thought about how wonderful that is, that everything in your life is not completely cookie cutter. Instead, in, in your relationship with God, that there might be things I'm not talking about things that the Bible has already talked about as in or out. But there are gray area issues like this one about eating this kind of meat or not in that culture. That there would be some that God would speak to them and say, I don't want you to to eat that. And by conscience, they'd say, I don't think that's the right thing to do. That there would be others that felt no problem uh, in their conscience to to eat that. And so what would they do? They would eat it and and not have a problem. So you say, well, we don't have that issue with food. All right, well, let's let's move it over a little bit and let's talk about food for thought. Um, and, And let's ask this question. Is it okay for a Christian to watch a rated R movie? All right. Now, when I first became a Christian, this was a big deal, um, and uh, now there are some that are in the absolutely not, and my friends who are in the absolutely not, you could never watch rated R movie as a Christian, I do like to remind them that The Passion of the Christ was a rated R movie, and uh, which kind of hurts their theory, and they say, well, that's the one exception, but every other movie, demon possessed, and um, and so, now, before you go, go ahead and just say, yeah, I don't think it's a big deal, um, you know, be careful. And saying that, you know, is watching movies with nudity and, and gratuitous violence, is that really healthy to watch? So, because there's a passage that we're going to read in just a moment in Romans 14, right around verse 22 or 23, it's in verse 22, I believe, that says, happy is he who, is, who does not condemn himself and by what he approves. So once again, so which is it? Can I or can't I? I don't know. You've got to pray. You've got to see how the Holy Spirit is leading you. There might be some things that you say, "Well, I feel like as I've reviewed this movie and, and read some stuff about it, i don't think it's going to be a big deal to watch, then enjoy it and enjoy it without your conscience feeling like it's got like there's some kind of problem with you and God or you're sinning by watching it but yet if you if you review it or whatever and you say man I, I don't know i don't know if God really wants me to watch this or not I don't think he does then don't because one of the things that we're going to look at it in, in in the next section is um what's in your notes it says, whatever is not from faith is sin so if you say well if god is telling you not to do it then you shouldn't do it even if somebody has the freedom to do it if god is telling you not to do it you shouldn't do it now we talk about uh movies let's talk about music is it okay for a christian to listen to music that's not you know particularly christian or worship or or, or, or whatever when i became a christian um and this is in 1993 um there was no, I mean, I was told when I became a Christian, there is no way you can listen, you cannot be a Christian and listen to, to secular music or music that's not, um, overtly Christian. And so, um, when I, when I became a Christian, the, the condition for, like, when my brother, um, prayed with me to receive Christ, the condition, he says, uh, right, before we do this, you do know you're going to to throw out all of your music. Everything. You've got to throw it out. And, um, and I'm like, you know, even the autograph stuff. Of you know, yeah, everything's got to go. And uh, th- the bad part is he doesn't hold to this position anymore, which bothers me. Anyway, but um, but that was this whole thing. Like, and so he he told me I, everything had to go, and I said okay. And so I, I prayed to receive because my thought was like, forgiveness, eternal life, hope, peace, is is worth a little more than some music. And so I decided like, all right, then then forget it. Let's um let's just. You know, then let's forget it. And I did. I got rid of everything. And for for several years, in, in the first several years of being a Christian, I didn't listen to anything um, that wasn't just you know overtly Christian. Because what I was told was is that anything that's not overtly Christian is demonic, in in nature. Now, what happened was is I started growing as a Christian, and I, I learned about Romans 14, and and I started kind of looking at it, and, and I and, and then I started feeling the freedom. Like it would be OK for me to start listening to something, not everything I used to listen to, but some of the things that I had listened to uh, in the past. And then there was some people that said, I can't believe you're doing this. This is total compromise. You know, this is a terrible thing. And uh, well, let me explain it this way. This, I think, is the easiest way to explain it. Um, I will uh, give you my. I just started playing guitar a week ago, so. Um, so, no, I, I played for a lot of my life. Okay. Oh, a little. I like this. Okay. That's not what I'm playing. All right. So here's the thing that happens. Um, I was. Uh, so I'm talking to, these, to, to this guy, and, and he's like, You know, anything that's not Christian is, is, oh, is totally demonic. And I said, Are you sure? And he's like, Yes, because it, if it doesn't glorify God. It's totally demonic. And I said, all right. And, and we we're at my house. And I said, then I am going to play for you a song. And you have to tell me how, if it's, if it's, I don't think it's Christian. And, um, but, I, I will, but you'll have, you'll have to convince me that it's demonic. And he said, no problem. And so I said, all right, I'm going to start playing now and not play background music anymore. And I said, all right, here I go. you ready to hear the song. Yes. Okay. Here it is. Now, thank you. Good night. All right. Tip your waitress as well. I'll be here all week. All right. And now I've gotten this thing totally... See, there was a time when you didn't need all this stuff. Back before the dark times, before the empire. Anyway. Anyway. Um, and there, there was a pig. anyway. All right. So here's what happened. So I played old McDonald and I said, um, now please tell me. Is old McDonald demon possessed? Is old McDonald satanic? And he's like, and, and he's, well, it, it, not, well, that's different. And I'm like, well, I listen, I will give you, I know that old McDonald's not Jewish because on his farm he had some pigs. So I will agree with that. But. I mean, it, what's what's wrong with old McDonald? And he's like, "Well, that's different." And I'm like, "Well, okay." So now maybe there aren't, maybe everything isn't quite as cut and dry as we make it. So maybe, maybe I'm just throwing this out. Maybe there's what's there's music that we might consider sacred, and that is worship stuff that overtly glorifies God. There's things that are we might even call sinful, and that is things that we know are going to take us away from God. But maybe there's this other area, a grayer area, if you will which is what we might just call secular. And so now, and, and so then what do you do with that? Well, can you listen to it or not? I don't know. That's for you to decide, for you to see if the Holy Spirit gives you freedom to do it. I know when I first became a Christian, I didn't listen to anything that wasn't Christian. And um, as I like to tell the story now, I gave up all music that's good, and I listened to only mediocre music um, just for a season of my life. Uh, Anyway, uh, for a season of my life. And I think it helped me. I think it helped me grow, um, as a Christian. It sure helped me pray for more musicians. Um, and, uh, but, but once again, the issue becomes is what is God leading you to do? If you're listening to music and you feel like, oh, I know that, I know that God doesn't really want me to listen to this, then here's what you need to do. You need to stop doing it. If you feel the freedom to, then here's what you need to do. Stop feeling condemned by it and just enjoy it. But once again, I think the issue is, you see, whether it's what Paul says, whether it's the food that we eat or movies or music, he even gets down, he starts talking about days. Like there's some days that people will, um, that they say are holier than another, right? Like some people, you know, some would say Sunday is the holiest day of the week, right? Or do you think that every day is about the same? See, I'm of the, I'm personally of the opinion that every day is about the same. Just like Paul says there, one person says one day is holier than another. One person esteems all days alike. Let each one be fully convinced in his own mind. And so, you know, I mean, for my, my seventh day Adventist friends who believe that Saturday is the Sabbath and if you, you must worship on the Sabbath and to worship on Sunday is to take the mark of the beast. That's actually what they, what they teach. And, um, you know, my problem with that is, number one, that's not what the mark of the beast is. Um, number two, the Bible never tells us to worship on, on the Sabbath. What it tells us over and over in the Bible to do is to rest on the Sabbath. Which, by the way, brings up another point. that Sometimes you can make a huge argument and not realize that the premise of the argument is actually faulty. But the point is this. I'd rather respect their commitment to the Lord on Saturday... And love them rather than create create a, a, a hostile environment. So, if, listen. If you say, "Man, but I just really believe that Saturday is the day," then then go for it. Worship with all of your heart on Saturday, because better for you to worship with all of your heart on Saturday than not worship at all. Um, and, and so, but the issue is is that I'm not sinning by worshiping on Sunday. They're not sinning by worshiping on Saturday. If there's a judgmental attitude one way or the other, that's where now we, we start getting things that, that, are, that are problematic. And listen, the point is this, is that if you want to reduce the level of conflict in your life, we have to let go of secondary issues. You know what I tell couples? Uh, this is when I, I don't do a lot of premarital counseling anymore. The other pastors do it. But um, when I was doing a lot of premarital counseling, this is like the one thing I would tell them when it came to conflict resolution. I would say this, write this down. Choose your battles, pick your battles, because not everything is a hill to die on. Right. And and so, like, there are things that my wife and I, even to this very day, 14 and a half years later, happily married, there are still things that we disagree with. She is still squeezing the toothpaste from the middle. And I tell her that anyone who loves God knows that you do it in a decent and orderly manner, just like the Bible says, from the back to the front. And you know what? There's just a there's a better way, you know, and I tell her there's a better way. I tell her I'm going to pray for her. And um, but you know what? And, and here's the thing. You know what we do now? Now we get one of those pumps and then you don't even have to squeeze anymore. So I just I just bypass the argument altogether. And, and the issue is this is that there, there are certain things that you're going to have to have conflict on. Let it be something that's worthy of conflict, not something that's silly, because sometimes it's better for us to curb our freedom. For the sake of someone else and and allow them to grow. And that's what Paul's going to say next. Look at verse 14. He says, I know and am convinced by the Lord Jesus that nothing unclean, that there is nothing unclean of itself. But to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Yet if your brother is grieved because of your food, you're no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let your good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who serves Christ Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which we may edify one another. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for the man who eats with offense. It is good neither to eat meat nor drink wine nor do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or made weak. Do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself by what he approves. But he who who doubts is condemned if he eats because he does not eat from faith. For whatever is not from faith is sin. Now if you pause there and give me your attention, and here's the second issue. If you want to reduce conflict and get along, here's what it is. Place others in your view. That is, place others in your view. Here's what I mean by that. That is, that we might have certain freedoms, but we're willing to curb those freedoms for the sake of love and for the sake of loving someone else who may be stumbled by the freedom that we have. Because there are some things worth dividing over, and, but, a lot of, but not over things that are essentially silly. I was reading a story about a man who was walking along, the, uh, walking along the Golden Gate Bridge. And he saw a man on the bridge about ready to jump. And he stops him and he says, listen, don't jump. Because God loves you. And, and the, guy, the guy who was ready to jump turned to him and he had some tears coming down his eyes and... And he said, "Listen, do you do you believe in God?" And he said, "Yes." And he said, "Are you you know are you Jewish or, or Christian or Muslim?" And, and he says, "I'm I'm Jew, I'm I'm, uh, I'm Christian." And he says, "Wow, me too." And he says, oh, "Are you are you Catholic or Protestant?" And the guy who's ready to jump says, "I'm Protestant." And the guy telling the story says, "Me too." What denomination? And the guy ready to jump says, "Baptist." And the guy walking says, "Me too." And he says, now let me ask you this, are you Northern Baptist or Southern Baptist? And the guy ready to jump says, I'm Northern Baptist. And the guy says, me too. Now let me ask you this, are you Northern Conservative Baptist or Northern Reformed Baptist? And he says, I'm Northern Conservative Baptist. And he says, me too. Now, if I can just ask one more question, he says to the guy jumping, are you Northern conservative fundamentalist Baptist? Or are you northern conservative Reformed Baptist? And he says, I'm northern conservative fundamentalist Baptist. He says, me, too... And he says, now... He goes, listen, I just got to ask one more thing... Because this is amazing. Are you northern conservative fundamentalist Baptist Great Lakes region? Are you northern conservative fundamentalist Baptist Eastern region? And he says, well, I'm northern conservative, fundamentalist Baptist Great Lakes region. He says, me, too... This is amazing. He says, that, now I just have one more question. Are you Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912? Or are you Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1850? And the guy ready to jump says, I'm Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912. And the guy who tells the story says, "So when I heard that, I said, die, heretic! And I pushed him off the bridge. And... Um, I don't think it's a true story. Um, Because I did read it out of the National Enquirer. Uh, No, I'm just kidding. Uh, But the point is this we don't divide over silly things. All right? And and, and listen, and the point that Paul makes is don't stumble people with your freedom. Listen, let me just give you as an example. Um, According to the Bible, there's actually nothing wrong with having a drink. There's nothing wrong with having a drink. The Bible has plenty to say about the sin of drunkenness. But uh, drinking was very common in the culture of the Bible. In fact, at one point, Paul tells Timothy, um, his, his protege in 1 Timothy chapter 5, he's having these stomach ailments. And he says, listen, stop just drinking water and drink a little bit of wine. That's going to help you with the stomach uh, problems that you have. So there's freedom there. Not freedom to get drunk, but there's freedom in, to, to, ha- to have a drink. Now, but sometimes, and, this, and, I'm, and I'm, I'm speaking autobiographically here. And I don't have a problem if somebody drinks or not. Um, but one out of three people in America is either an alcoholic or has a family member, uh, who, who has, who has struggled with, with alcoholism. And so, the freedom can sometimes make people stumble. And so, because my, just about every time that we go out, we see somebody from church or somebody who knows who I am somehow or whatever, um, I've just chosen that I just don't drink. And not because I think it's wrong, but because I, I, I believe that curbing my freedom for the sake of someone else is, act, is, is actually um, the best thing for me. And I believe that it's how God has led me uh, to live. And so because I just can't even imagine how awkward it would be for someone to, to be sitting in the restaurant with their spouse and say, hey, look, that's Pastor Bob and, and Carrie over there. Let's go say hi. And right as they walk up, I'm slamming back a dos Equis. And I'm like, hey, I mean, what do you say? You know, just stay thirsty, my friends. I mean, that's about all you can say, right? I mean, I, I don't know what else to say. I mean, it'd just be really awkward, right? Uh, and so, <laughs> you know, some things aren't in the notes. Uh, <laughs> that's, I actually think those commercials are funny. Uh, but, here's, but here's the thing. Um, it's not that having a beer is wrong. It's that it has, because it has the potential to stumble so many people, I curb my freedom for the sake of that other person who might be stumbled. Because I'd rather curb my freedom and be able to preach the gospel to them and see them grow to maturity in Christ than to flaunt my freedom and actually see that person stumble and walk away from God. And I'm telling you, I, I see this happen. This happens in my life all the time because I see people from church like every time I go to Publix or someone who used to attend or whatever that that um, and and I see them. And when we're shopping and I'm telling you, um, there, there's a funny thing that happens. Whatever you see, when I see someone from church that sees my, my family and I at Publix, um, personally, I think shopping is like the most relaxing thing in the world. Um, my whole thing is I took care. I'll do whatever you want. Just let me push the cart. I just think that is like the most relaxing thing ever. So I just push the cart around and I talk to the kids and you know, all that is is I, I find it fun. And, um, but when someone from church comes up and says, hi, the first thing they do is look in my cart. And, um, now it's okay. Cause the first thing I do is look in their cart. And I'm like, what you got? Hey, that looks good. Anyway. So that's just, anyways, I just was telling you, I'm just, that's what happens. And, but, uh, but you know, what's weird is that. Now, when I when I am been published with my family, I'm thinking like, the chances of me seeing somebody from church are very high. What am I buying? And so like the other day, I was actually I, I was trying to talk my wife into allowing me to buy some Twinkies, and uh, and I thought I'm like, hey, you know, and I had this whole case built as to why this would be a good thing, and then I thought someone from church might be in the next aisle, and I thought I ah, leave it alone. Kara, grab the broccoli. Let's get out of here, you know, and uh, because I just don't just, Twinkies. What's you know anyway? So I didn't want that. That would be an awkward co- conversation. Because what he says is the kingdom of God is not about eating or drinking. Instead, it's about righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. It's about righteousness, doing the right thing because we've been made right with God. It's about peace, that there's peace between us and God, and now this ability for there to be peace one with another. And joy in the Holy Spirit, that is experiencing the goodness of God in our lives. You see, the point is, if we want to impact the lives of other people, there may be a point in time where we have to curb our freedom for the purpose of ministering to them. And listen, if you're a parent, you know this principle. You understand this to be the case. There are shows that you watch, and I'm not saying that they are shows that are sinful or bad. they are shows that are probably good and funny and entertaining and all that. But there are shows that you watch that you wouldn't show to your kids because they're just not able to handle them. And so what you do is when your kids are awake, you actually curb your freedom for the sake of your kids because love trumps freedom. And so because of your love for them, you're willing to curb it because you don't want to do anything that hurts them or confuses them or stunts them in any way. And that's the point that Paul is making here is that we look on at the people around us and people that might even disagree and say, you know what, would it be a big deal for me to curb my freedom for the sake of this person so that they feel loved by me? And listen, if we do that, we will see conflict go way down. Now, look at chapter 15. We're just going to look at a couple of verses, but here's what he says. This is the conclusion of the, um, the conversation. He says, we then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and not please ourselves. Let each one of us uh, please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me for whatever things were written before were written for our learning that we, through the patience and comfort of the scriptures, might have hope. Now, may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like minded towards one another, according to Christ Jesus, that you may be with one mind in one mouth. Glorify God, the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore. Receive one another, just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, listen, what the, the main reason we have conflict is because we don't get our way. The reason that many marriages struggle isn't because one person doesn't love the other. It's because he or she loves himself a little bit more than he loves the other. And when there's a struggle of the wills, you're always going to pull for the person that you love a little bit more. What makes marriages work is sacrifice. What makes really any relationship work is sacrifice and mutual respect. And when I walk into a situation, when any of us walk into a situation, and our goal is to please ourselves, that relationship is doomed. And let me just tell you that it is human nature to desire to please yourself. That's because we are all fallen, fallen people, sold into sin, according to what the Bible says. But see, the gospel teaches us something different. He teaches us something that is completely countercultural to what our natural desire is. And that is to put aside our desires for the well-being of others. And it gives us Jesus as the picture and the model of of, of this point. You see, in in Philippians chapter 2, here's what it says. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. But made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Listen, Jesus is the model for us of humility. And so because when we humble ourselves before God for the sake of others and say, I will curb what is maybe a right That I have or a freedom that I have. But I will say no to that for the sake of someone else. Here's what will happen. Look at what happens in in what God did for Jesus in in Philippians 2. This is verse 9. Still in your notes. It says, therefore, God has also highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. The father. Listen, here's what happens. Here's what the Bible says. It says says this in Proverbs chapter three. It says that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. You see, God opposes proud people. If you're in this constant conflict and it's pride because you refuse to be wrong. Then here's what will happen. You will find yourself at odds, not just with someone else, but at odds with God as well. And as you do, listen, what will happen is is that if you will actually stop and humble yourself and say, you know what, I'm wrong. And and if we will do that, you know what will take place? God will lift you up. Jesus, who did not need to be humbled, humbled himself. And you know what happened? It says that now, therefore, in light of the fact that he died the death of the cross, therefore, God has given him a name that is above every name. And listen, the, the point is this is if we want to experience more peace in our home, in our workplace, in our relationships, in our marriage, with our kids, with our friends, and not have the kind of conflict that is so common, then we have to do what Paul says and not major in the minors. There's a time for conflict, but not, when, not over secondary things that are no big deal. That you just let it go because it's not that big of a deal. That you're willing for the sake of harmony and peace to not make a big deal out of things that don't really matter. Because you know what will happen in these situations? You see, think about this. The number one reason that marriages fail, this is what, they, well, this is what couples cite when, when they get divorced. They, 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 they cite irreconcilable differences. Listen, can I tell you this? Every couple has irreconcilable differences in varying degree and size. But what becomes the, the reason for division in a relationship can actually be what strengthens yours. So will you say, well, we just cannot agree on this uh, on this subject, and it's not a big issue; it's a secondary issue. And listen, I, because what will happen is, is that if you keep fighting about the secondary issues, they will become big issues. But those issues that now would divide you, if you will say, you know what, to me it's not that big of a deal. If that's what you want to do, that's fine. I don't care. And and instead, here's what will happen: your spouse who knows that you disagree. And yet you're just saying, you know what, to me it's not that big of a deal. If it's a big deal to you, then we'll do it your way. That's fine. Then here's what will happen. Whenever that thing comes up, they are going to remember that while this is an issue of division, you've turned it into an issue of reminding them that you love and accept them. And say, well, yeah, we used to argue about that, but now they they just love me for it. And they're willing to curb that right that they have. And they don't want to argue about it because they love me. Because here's the thing. Because to you, love trumps being right. Love trumps a freedom that I might have, a liberty that I might have. And so you choose to love and accept this other person. Why? Because it's more important to you. Because being with that person is more important to you than being right or having your own way. My friends, that is what the gospel is. Can I tell you something? When mankind sinned and all of us followed suit because we've all sinned, we've all done the wrong thing. Every single one of us. God, it was like, I mean, that's it. It's over. God didn't have to actually chase us. And yet he did. Because this issue of sin, what could have been the thing that divides us and God, became the point of reconciliation between us and God. The very issue that God could have pointed and said, you know why we don't have a relationship is because of this. All of this sin right here and said, here's what God does. He took the point of irreconcilable difference. And Jesus came and humbled himself, became a man, died the death of the cross. And because of that, what should have been the point of division. Now becomes the place of connection and now becomes the place that every time we think of our relationship with God, we go back to the one place, the place of the cross where our sin, which should have separated us, became the place that healed us and loved us and connected us and where we experienced the grace and love and mercy and peace of God. And my friends, if God is willing to do that and travel the distance of heaven and earth to make that happen. Can we now turn to someone else for whom Christ died and do the same? For someone who we actually love and care about, can we do the same? Of course we can. And my friend, if you're here and you've never invited Jesus to come into your life and you said, you know, I feel like there's a separation between me and God. Listen, that's because there is. The Bible teaches us that we're actually, it's only when we come to know Christ that there's peace with us and God. Because our sin has us at odds with him. But Christ Jesus came and died so that we might have peace so that we might experience forgiveness and the love and grace and mercy of God. And listen, what should have separated us from God now gives us an opportunity to be in relationship with God. And if you've never invited Christ into your life, listen, you can call out to him here and now and experience that life transforming grace and forgiveness that he offers. Let's pray together. And Lord, thank you so much. Thank you for your love Thank you for when we were irreconcilably separated from you. You didn't leave us there. Instead, the point of disconnection now became the point of connection through your love and sacrifice. And Lord, that's our hope, is that we can model that in our lives. So God, do that work in us. May we be peacemakers. May we be those who are known not by what we're against, but by what we're for and by whom we love. In Jesus' name, amen.